Tonight's reading can be found on page 970. It's 970 in the Church Bible. And it's Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 1 to 4, and then we will continue at verse 19 to 24. So Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them, If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is in darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray as we start. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, and we pray now that as we, um, we work through this passage, please help us to see wonderful things about the Lord Jesus Christ, for whose glory we pray. Amen. I'm just going to come forward a little bit. There we go. Now, I want you to picture the scene. Picture this scene. Uh, a few years ago, there was a man, 26 years old, traveling on the high-speed TGV train in France from Paris to La Rochelle. And he needed to use the, the, uh, the toilet, the kind of green button he pressed to go in. Uh, and um, what he did was he dropped his new mobile phone down the toilet pan and with lightning speed reactions, reached down into the toilet bowl in attempt to grab his mobile phone. And the man's arm was literally sucked into this suction system, and his whole arm went in all the way up to his shoulder. 
And um, after a period of time, he was kind of crying out and asking for another passenger to hear him, hear his distress, and eventually someone came to his aid. Um, and the train came to a stop. The emergency services worked uh, for quite some time. The train was delayed by two hours. Uh, they had to cut through the pipes to set this man free. A fire spokesman said he was cut free from the toilet on the platform, and apart from suffering bruising and smelling a bit, he suffered no lasting injuries. Now just imagine this scene for a moment. The toilet bowl is still attached to this guy's arm, and his hand is still clinging onto his mobile phone. It's a crazy story, but it really highlights the point of tonight's talk, that perhaps there may well be something now that we're holding on to too tightly that we may need to let go of. And I wonder, as we go through this passage, what that might be for each one of us here. Well, we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and the big thing I want us to see is very much that point, that the ambition for the Christian is not material possessions, but actually it's God's rule in their lives. It's relationship with God. Now, the first half of Matthew chapter 6, uh, really this is describing the Christian's private life. What's to be done in the secret place? And there is expectations for Christians. Firstly, verse 2, uh, we're to give financially and sacrificially. Secondly, at verse 5, we're to pray. And verse 16, we're to fast. And the second half of Matthew 16 really is concerned with our, with our public life, our public business in the world. And we can't separate these two. So what we are privately, actually, is what we are publicly. The two go together. And God, he's concerned with both spheres of our lives, the public and the private. And Matthew chapter 6, particularly verses 4, verse 6, and verse 18, are a great reminder to us that on the one hand, our Heavenly Father knows what's done in secret. And the Bible says that he'll reward us. He knows our motives. He knows whether you're doing things for him or whether you're doing things now to get praise from others, to be puffed up uh, by others. And on the other hand, verse 32 tells us that God knows our needs. He knows that we need food. He knows we need money. He knows we need clothing. And he's our provider. God cares for us, and God, re God rewards those who are his people. Now, I had a little trouble at school. I had trouble in the past with exams, notably my GCSEs, uh, which my parents weren't too happy of, uh, and my driving theory test. Anyone else have trouble with the driving theory test? Oh, I did. I think I failed the exam twice. It might have been three times. And my problem was I thought the answers were obvious. And so because I thought that, I did little study. In fact, I did no study. I did, I did no revision at all for my GCSEs. I thought I'd just pass. And to my amazement and to my embarrassment of admitting that now in front of all you lot, um, I didn't. I failed. And tonight, as we look down through Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at three exams, three tests that Jesus puts before us. And the answers are obvious. You pro as, as, as that was read out by Janet, you probably read through that and thought, yeah, I've passed when it was read out. But actually, at the heart of each exam is the question, are we really living this stuff? Are we really living it out? Well, my first exam comes from verses 19 
to 21. It's the accountancy exam. Let me just read that again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is commanding us not to store up treasures here and now on earth. And it's important to outline at the start here, I think, what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that we should have a negative view of money. He's not saying that poverty is a virtue. Why do we say that? Well, the the Bible encourages us to interpret Scripture in light of other Scriptures. And in 1 Timothy 5, 8, for your notes, Paul instructs Timothy and Christians per se to provide for their relatives, especially our immediate families. And Paul's conclusion for the one who disobeys this command actually is they're in a worse state than an unbeliever. Maybe that's a real word for somebody here tonight. God wants us to provide for our families. And God's word encourages each and every one of us to be good stewards, to be faithful stewards, to be diligent stewards with the resources and the money that God has entrusted to us. Secondly, what Jesus is not saying is, he's not banning us having possessions. Scripture never forbids us having private property. Um, For those of you who uh, like the Book of Common Prayer and the 39 Articles of the Church of England, uh, this is the kind of doctrinal formula of the Church of England, Article 38 says that riches and goods of Christians, sorry, the riches and goods of Christians are not common. In other words, it's okay to have possessions. So the Bible says it, the 39 Articles say it, brilliant, we can have possessions. Thirdly, Jesus doesn't despise savings accounts, nor does he despise having a life insurance policy. Why? Because the Bible applauds saving, and the Bible applauds us caring for our families. Proverbs 6.6 6 says, uh, it praises the ant for storing away food in the summer for the winter. And as we just looked at in 1 Timothy 5, the Bible encourages us to make provision for those under our care. And fourthly, the good things of this creation have been given to us by our loving creator to enjoy. They're good gifts. We're not to despise what God's given, but we're to enjoy them and we're to be thankful for what he gives. So what is Jesus saying? Well, in our accountancy exam, I wonder if you spotted it, the key word here is treasure. It's treasure. It's not money. And that, um, it says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And that word, uh, store up, has the same root word in Greek as treasure does. So literally, the command is this. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures. That is, don't have a selfish attitude to stockpiling stuff in the here and now for yourself. Jesus doesn't want you to have a really healthy earthly bank account at the expense of your spiritual bank account which could be bouncing checks all over the place because of what you're really storing up for yourself. My wife's granddad used to say to her, you know, Mel, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. The stuff we accumulate, we can't take it with us. I used to go to church with an Olympic athlete. It was huge, made me look really small. Uh, His name was Lewis, and he won an Olympic gold in 2000 uh, for rowing. 
And he said this. He said, having spent four years training and preparing for my first Olympic Games, I experienced a huge surge of elation having won a gold medal, which had been the sole focus of my life for an entire four-year period. Four years training for a gold medal. He said, once the, once the euphoria had calmed down, the elation, it was only a temporary high, not the long-term satisfaction that I hoped for. He went on to say, whilst being an Olympian was a great experience, it was temporary. It was a short-term, short-term thing, nothing permanent. The elation was short-lived. He said, I want to address some of the big questions in life. Look into the long term. Is there a God? Who is Jesus? And having become a Christian, he says now, that long-term goal, that's been reached. Now the short term, now in the short term, I know I can live my life now with eternal consequences. See the stuff we accumulate, gold medals, if you've ever won one, I certainly haven't. Cars, finances, houses, they're temporary highs. They don't last. Mel's granddad says, you can't take it with you, but Jesus adds, actually, you can send it ahead of you. There are some things in life that are decent investments. They're lasting investments. It's amazing. So why does Jesus command us not to treasure for ourselves treasure on earth? Well, because treasures now, actually, they're transient. They're vulnerable and they're unstable. Moths can destroy them. Rust sets in. Thieves are going to want to break in and steal. Do you get what Jesus is saying, verse 19? Look, nothing is safe. Nothing is safe. If moth and vermin don't destroy your wealth, then thieves will break in and they'll rob you blind. No matter what kind of wealth you have, no matter what you do to protect it, eventually, eventually it'll be gone. Uh, I was uh, having a little look at Job earlier on in the week, and um, Satan approaches uh, God, uh, and uh, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says to God, look, Job, he only loves you because you give him good things. He only loves you because of your gifts to him. Let me take away the good things from him. He won't love you anymore. Surely he'll curse you to your face. Anyway, God allows Job to have everything taken away. Calamity after calamity. Disaster follows disaster. Just imagine that situation. Imagine being in that situation. Your home's taken, education, friends, job, health, family, car, TV, Xbox, makeup, everything taken away. And imagine that if everything was taken away except one thing, be one thing you, that you could keep. What's that one thing that you'd rush to keep? Well, if you know the answer to that, then I think you're beginning to know where your treasure is. It's just a little diagnostic question for us. Verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where you put your treasure, that's where your heart's invested. And treasure, well, treasure is where your heart is. I think this is really important spiritual work for us to be doing as we go deeper, if we're even to begin to edge towards spiritual maturity. One theologian puts it like this. The things we treasure govern our lives. What we value tugs at our minds and emotions. It consumes our time with planning, our daydreaming, 
and our effort. Where's your treasure? What are you treasuring? Because what you treasure, there your heart will be also. And for many people, it's material possessions. Not so for the Christian here tonight. We're to resolutely refuse to put material things first. The Christian can have possessions. That's absolutely fine. But we don't have treasure. Possessions, but not treasure. Because treasure now is vulnerable. It's corruptible. It doesn't last. Store up for yourselves, verse 20, treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. So here's the challenge for us. What are you really investing in? What are you and I doing on earth today which will have effects which will last for all eternity? And if we really treasure up treasures in heaven, well, then the investments that we make will be infinitely more worthwhile and far more secure. Well, what does that look like? Well, I think the big thing is that we grow in Christ-likeness of character. We develop that Christ-likeness of character. I remember my previous vicar telling me that he um, once went to, um, went to park his car next to a friend's. And he said to his friend, I'm going to park as close as I can to your car. Watch this. And so as he's reversing his car in, his bumper scratched all the way down the side of his friend's car. And um, he got out of the car. And I was like, oh, I'm awfully sorry. And he said, do you know what? It's just a car. It's just a car. Don't worry. And he thought to himself, that's Christ-likeness of character. That's amazing. Uh, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. He didn't get hot-headed uh, and kind of tear him apart and say, how stupid are you for doing that? That's Actually, that's Christ-likeness of character. It's only a car. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 42, far left of your page. Here's what Christ's likeness of character also looks like. Verse 42, give. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What else does Christ's likeness of character look like? Well, it's increased trust and hope and charity. It looks like growing in the love and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who... One day we're going to see face to face. It's amazing. It looks like speaking to others about Christ so that they too may pass from death to life and have life, uh, eternal life. No burglar can steal that. No thief can break in. No vermin can destroy that. Well, our second exam is the optical exam, verse 22 to 23. And the question is, how's your vision? How's your vision? Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The question here is, do you have a spiritual squint? A squint that requires glasses. As the optician moves down the list of letters, can you really see what matters Most of all, can you read the fine print? Verse 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the stuff, all the other things, you'll get those as well. And if your eye isn't working, well then your whole body, well that'll be in darkness. And I think really this little section in the middle, the context is still within 
kind of thinking about treasures and money. So the subject hasn't changed. This is talking here about kind of money and possessions and materialism. What I think Jesus is saying is this. Materialism can blind you spiritually. Materialism can distort the way we see things. And what does greed actually do? What does greed do? Well, it hides itself so we can't see it. There's a leader of uh, a church in New York by the name of Tim Keller, and he's written this really good book called Counterfeit Gods. And he's reflecting at this point in the book on a long period of ministry. He's been in ministry for a number of years. And he says, nobody thinks they're greedy. As a pastor, I've had people come to me to confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost, he says. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, it's harming my soul and people around me. He says, greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. Jesus warns people that far more often about greed than about sex. And almost no one thinks they're guilty of greed. And if greed really does hide itself so deeply, well, then no one here tonight, including myself, should be confident that this isn't a problem for them too. So if greed darkens the eye, the question at the end of this section is, how dark's your eye? How does it blind us? Many people, money is the currency of significance. It means you can eat in certain places, you can dress in a certain way, you can move within certain circles, you can enjoy a certain lifestyle. And if you don't have it, well then you're below me. Not just economically, but actually, I'm a higher caliber of person than you are. Ask about me. Consider my reputation. Don't you know who I am? Look at the privileges that I enjoy, that you don't. Crudely put, money can convince our hearts that my life is of greater value than yours, that I'm worth more than you are, I'm better than you. So what's, uh, if, if that's our attitude in our heart, what's the ophthalmology advice from the great physician? Verse three, give your money away. Give your money away. Give it to those who need it more than you do. Don't hold on to it too tightly, like some guy on a train clings onto a mobile phone. Give your money away. Give it to the work of the gospel here in this city, because there's plenty of people in need. Now, I love a good game of Monopoly. I think it's terrific. Um, it's one of my favorite games. Um, I play it with the kids. I play it with Mel. Um, buying and collecting stuff, it's great fun. Uh, I love buying houses and hotels, and I love it particularly when the kids land on me. Um, I probably enjoy it a bit more when Mel lands on me as well. Um, and you know how Monopoly works. Eventually, one player bankrupts the others. And when the game's over, what happens? What happens when the game's over? All the pieces, they get put back neatly in place in the box. Now, people who live for the present, who spend all their kind of strength on what doesn't last, are a bit like children p playing Monopoly 
thinking that it's real. And in the end, we all get put in a box. We're all gone. What matters is what remains when the game on earth is over. So let's start that conversation and continue the conversation. How much of our finances do we give away? And how much do we keep? Let's talk about it, perhaps with your spouse or friend, prayer partner, let's talk about it. But if you're sat here thinking, the last thing I want to do is talk about finances, or think about how I spend my money, then perhaps you've got a dark eye. Perhaps you've got a dark eye. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus says, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. Watch out. Literally, a truck's on its way. It's going to smash you. It's going to pulverize you. It's headed right in your direction. Dive out the way. Watch out. You're in danger right now. If you've got a dark eye, the question is, how great is that darkness? And I think this doesn't just apply to individuals. It applies to churches as well. And we're no exception. We can be blind. So are we a church that are holding on to our reserves too tightly, not willing to give our money away or our resources away? Would you join praying with us, praying for those on the PCC, the leadership team, uh, those offering hospitality, that we would be a generous church, that we would have a generous eye, not a dark eye, that we would be eager and willing to give sacrificially to the benefit of others so that they too may grow in Christ-likeness of character. That'd be a great thing to pray for as we run up to Christmas, wouldn't it? Pray verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Pray that we would have a generous eye. Please pray that for me. Pray, pray about our vision in this church, not becoming clouded by the false gods of materialism. Well, that's our second exam. Our final exam is very short. It's the management exam, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Who do you serve? There's a choice here. There's a choice here for all of us. Your master's either God or it's mammon, it's money. Who's your master? Everybody is worshipping something. It's how God designed us. We're worshipping beings. And we're either worshipping the living creator, the one who made everything and made us, or we're worshipping an object of our own creation or something else part of this creation. We can't serve both. And serving money, well, it looks like it looks like you're consumed with money. You think about it all the time. Your choices depend on it. You bring it up in conversation. You're scared to death when you lose it. Serving money means that money determines what you do. It calls the shots. Serving money means that we'll sell our souls to obey its demands. We'll sacrifice our lives to it and for it so that we can find status and significance and security. But do you know what? The Lord God, he's not just the creator, he's the redeemer as well, isn't he? So fame, family, fortune, sex, security, status, they all say, die for me. Give everything you've got 
for me. But our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, he says, no, I died for you. I died for you. He paid the price to set us free. He's the Lord of ultimate treasure. And the Bible says that he left heaven, that he became a man. He left status and he humbled himself and he got his hands dirty. He got stuck in. He took on flesh. That's what we're celebrating this Christmas, that God came to the rescue in the person of the Lord Jesus. The one who enjoyed wonderful unity with God for all eternity has come into our world. He's got involved. And he was stripped. And he was stripped naked. And they cast lots for his clothes. He was rich and he became poor. And he went to hell for you to make you his treasure. How amazing is that? Money no longer has power over you. And when we grasp that, then we'll start really being generous. We'll get that healthy eye that's mentioned in verse 22. You'll get that generous eye as we see that Jesus is your treasure. Let's let the cross be the benchmark for our giving, the standard, the right standard to set, because he gave everything for us. And only if God becomes the center of our lives, then can we dethrone and demote money from the place that he has over us. And for that matter, every other idol that says, make your sacrifices to me, that attempts to take God's place. So we've got those three exams. I wonder how you do. Let's pray together. Almighty God, please would you open our dark eyes to see that you are the greatest treasure And might we be those who have a generous eye. May the cross unlock our sight. And by your spirit, transform us that we might be like, more and more like, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Adam. I don't know, I mean, maybe the sermon has touched you tonight and you feel there's something on your heart that you've recognised that's keeping you um, from being close to God. Um, Something that you're serving instead of putting God first. Um, So... I'd just like to just pray once more. Um, if you feel that that is you, um, feel free to pray along with me um, while I'm praying as well. Lord, just do open our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts, as we were singing earlier, and help to show us um, if there is anything that has taken our eyes away from you, Lord. Um, that we don't see yet, but you can reveal it to us, Lord. And if something has been revealed to each of us individually tonight, Lord, thank you for showing it to us, Lord, and for opening our eyes to it, Lord. Lord, we're sorry that we've put that between you and us, Lord. We just ask you, Lord, to help us to look to you first, Help us to see 
the thing that we're serving that isn't you, Lord, in a new light. Help us, Lord, to just look to you each day and learn how to do that, Lord. Learn how to serve you first, Lord. To learn how to see if our eyes are dark, Lord. And to learn how to build up treasures in heaven, Lord. Lord, help us to be generous, as it says in Matthew 6, Lord, to give with our right hand so that our left hand doesn't know what's happening. Lord, you do give us all we need, Lord, and you can give us more if we're generous. Help us, Lord. Amen. And um, we'll just now just spend um, a couple of songs in worship um, and then I'll draw the service to a close. <laughs>